My name is Kate. And I'm Molly. And today I'm going to be telling Kate about a book by Sarah Peterson called Momfluenced. Ooh. <laughs> um, and I listened to parts of this book on tape. And my boyfriend, like, so the name of the book is Momfluenced. And the, the woman who read the book was kind of an annoying voice. No offense to that lady. But to to give you an example, this is about, of course, moms. And so the word toddler was in the book a lot. And this woman pronounced it toddler. And it was like, girl. With an extra syllable? Yeah, toddler. And it was like, babe, what? come on. You cannot be saying that kind of nonsense when you have to say that word that many times, please. I'm like, in my head, I'm like, is she British? Do the British no. say it that way? I'm like trying to figure out like what would possess you. Also, no like excuse. there's an editor of an audiobook that tells you how to pronounce things. Well, and, it's, and you would think they would have her read a sample just to make sure that she doesn't say stuff like in a crazy way. Yeah. I can't believe that that slipped through because it was really annoying. But what I was going to say about my boyfriend is that Toddler. he like her you know he would hear me listening to the book now and then and I like sometimes I would hear him like close his office door when I was listening to it and it was because he, like at one point he was like I can't hear the word momfluence her one more time like I just can't and I was like okay I'm sorry like that's what the book is about like I don't know what to tell you and he was like no I'm not upset I'm just saying like I can't hear it anymore and I was like fine <laughs> You have the right to feel that way, and I have the right to still play this out loud. Yeah. Um, no, that's so real. I listen to audiobooks all the time, and like I will often listen to them in the car if I'm going somewhere. And so there have been multiple times where I've been driving someone else or like my husband, and my phone automatically connects and starts playing wherever I am yeah, in this audiobook yeah. and half the time it's like something that is just the most embarrassing yeah. like it's like a random like scene of like two people fighting and it sounds like I'm just like listening to weird drama or um the worst is when it's something grisly from like a non-fiction oh, sure. book yeah. that I'm reading and yeah. it's like oh my god someone's head just got blown off I'm so sorry this is totally, totally. not appropriate on this Sunday Day morning, uh, the worst. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I love it because it's kind of like listening to like a ten-hour podcast, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It's fun. It's, it's great. very fun. But I do like absorb information better when I'm reading it. Like, there's something about like my eye movement and and stuff that like mm. makes me absorb it better. So I'm gonna focus today on the last chapter of the book, and I read the like last few chapters or that last chapter specifically. Mm -hmm. So because I needed to absorb it better. Like if I'm listening to a book on tape, it's really hard for me to like make podcast notes about it because it just like mm. the ideas are generally there, but I haven't like, I don't know. It's just a very different experience for me. Yeah. So it's anyway. It's hard to, to find like a specific spot in the book if you wanted to grab like a quote of something. Yeah. Because it's like, you can bookmark it on an audio book, but it's 
I don't know. It's maybe just not hard. quite as easy to find again yeah. if you're looking in a physical book. Yes, totally. So anyway, that's neither here nor there really, but um <laughs> I'm I need to look and find the date of when this was published too, because it was pretty recent, but let me just double check it. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say that. Like this seems like a book that could only be written in recent years. Yeah, it was very recent. It was last year, twenty twenty three is when it came out. So it's like a brand new freshie. Um and I actually found this book because I was like recommended a Substack newsletter that was written by this woman, Sarah Peterson. And it's like one of the chapters in this book. And I don't know if she wrote it before or after this okay. book came out, but it's like essentially a same topic. One of the chapters in the book is called like Good White Moms or something like that. And that was what the essay was about. And it's hmm. like, you know, okay. good white moms and their good white houses or, you know, something to that effect. Or let's see, what is it? Yeah, good white moms. <laughs> it sounds like an evil Dr. <laughs> Seuss <laughs> yeah. book. <laughs> Um, anyway, so that's how I found it. And I, the essay was so interesting. And then it like mentioned the book and I was like, mm-hmm. and now that I'm saying it, I'm like, can't actually remember if that essay was written by Sarah Peterson or if it was like talking about Sarah Peterson and the, these mm-hmm. concepts. So don't quote me on like any of that. Like referencing her. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> that is how I found this book. And then the book was so great. So let me start with a summary, which is what I probably should have done 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Um, and We're then getting we to it. Get into it. Okay. Momfluence by Sarah Peterson delves into the evolving landscape of motherhood in the digital age, focusing on the profound influence of social media and the emergence of momfluencers. Mom influencers is what that means. Peterson explores how platforms like Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook, not really at this point, I would say it's more TikTok these days, but that's fine. You know, Facebook is where things started have reshaped perceptions of motherhood, presenting curated images of the idealized parenting and lifestyles. Through personal anecdotes and interviews, um, Peterson examines the way in that social media has both shaped and been shaped by the concept of motherhood, blurring the lines between authenticity and commercial commercialization. The book delves into the complexities of being a mom influencer, exploring the pressures and challenges of balancing authenticity with the demands of sponsorship and brand partnerships. Peterson also examines the impact examines the impact of social media on maternal identity, self-esteem, and community building, highlighting both the positive connections and negative comparisons uh, fostered by online platforms. Ultimately, Momfluenced offers a thought-provoking exploration of the intersection between motherhood and social media, encouraging readers to critically examine their own relationship with digital platforms and to reconsider societal norms and expectations surrounding parenting in the digital age. Mm, That sounds very thought-provoking. I'm excited. Yeah, and I feel like it's an intersection of many of our interests, like pop culture, social media, like digital media, like not not that neither of us are mothers at this point, but like... um, being women is like a huge part of the discourse in this book Mm -hmm. and like the pressures of that, which obviously motherhood is related to. So that I think, yeah, it's so great. Yay. Okay. Well, let's get into it. When I was writing my notes, I was like, whoa, I'm like focusing on just the last chapter, which I'll like tell you about. But I, I was like, wow, I have so much to say. Like, I I don't even know how to, like, condense this. So, and, and I was only talking about the last chapter, which is like, holy shit. It's funny because 
you know, I think a lot of times we're like, oh, momfluencers, like what a what a non-serious topic, mm-hmm. right? Like you think of it that way. And I remember feeling the same when we talked about Spare, um, Prince Harry's memoir, because I was like, oh, these people are so unserious. But then you like dig into it a little bit more and you're like, I actually have so much to say because of how many different aspects of society that this invokes and totally. what it has to say about us as a society and the way things have happened in recent years. And yeah, it it's surprising sometimes how like the quote unquote silliest things can sometimes spur the like longest conversations. Yeah, totally. Yes. And yeah, I, you get it. Okay. I'm going to start by <laughs> asking you a question and it's like a big one. So, you know, just do your best. <laughs> I always do. That's that's my game plan for everything. Yeah, I'm just yeah. gonna try just my hardest. Do your best. Um, so I was thinking of the way like social media both shapes and is shaped by our society's perceptions of what motherhood is, and specifically the like momfluencer part of social media. And so I just wanted to hear from you, like through the media you've consumed in the last, you know, five years or whatever, what do you think has like impacted your impression of motherhood and what is your latest like impression of motherhood? Does that make question make sense? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So I think there's a few movies that have come out in recent years and recent is maybe a a relative term, (laughs) like in the past like seven years um, that have really focused on mother-daughter relationships, which Mm. I found really fascinating, and the complexity of Mm -hmm. those relationships. Um, The two movies that come to mind are um, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, which came out Mm. last year, and won uh, Best Picture at the Oscars. And um, I deeply loved that movie, like, thought it was wonderful, but one of the biggest things that's happening in the, throughout the movie is um, an evaluation and exploration of a mother-daughter relationship that's mm. kind of at the core of the story. And it's complicated in a number of factors. The daughter is queer and the mother like doesn't really understand that. And she doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be accepting at the beginning of the movie of who she is as an adult. And um, so that's like one movie that comes to mind. Um, another one is Lady Bird, which is another mother-daughter mm-hmm. relationship that's very yeah. complicated. Uh, and then the other one I thought of is a book I read, which actually got made into a Netflix m- movie mm-hmm. with Julia. Mm, why am I missing your last name? Uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking. Is it not Julia Roberts? Yes, Julia oh, Roberts. Okay. Thank you. I was like, why can't I think of the most famous woman? Um, <laughs> uh, with Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke, I think, is okay. the other person. Anyway, but... Um, that oh one, my I God, guess, is... wait, can I tell you something that I just thought of because you said Ethan Hawke? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Chris and I watched this movie like... Uh, I don't know, it was like a few months ago. And there was this guy in the movie... Ethan Hawke was in the movie. And I was like... Mm-hmm that's not Ethan Hawke. No way. Blah, blah, blah. And Chris is like, yeah, that is, that's Ethan Hawke. And I was like, nah, I know what that guy looks like. Yeah. The skateboarder guy. And Chris was like, no way. (laughs) 
Tony Hawk? Yeah, thinking of Tony Hawk. And I was like, what? <laughs> it was so embarrassing. You're like, wait, there's been two of them this whole time? Oh, my God. I, I thought was... the most decorated skater in all of history was also a great actor. Well, and the thing that was, like, really <laughs> tripping me up was that um, there was the guy from... I mean, they don't look that dissimilar, like... Well, no, but this... Okay, Kevin Bacon was also in the movie. And in my okay. mind, Tony... Or not Tony Hawk. Ethan Hawk and Kevin Bacon kind of <laughs> look a little alike. And so when I saw Ethan Hawk, I was like, that's Kevin Bacon. And Chris was like, no, it's not. That's Ethan Hawk. And I was like, no, <laughs> I know what Ethan Hawk looks like. <laughs> and I was wrong on all counts. Oh my God, that's so funny. You just keep like doing word association. You're just like, actually, are we sure that that's not Kevin Spacey? It was <laughs> just so incredible. Going. It was like, nope, you got them all wrong, babe. It was so, so funny. Okay, I'm so okay, sorry. Okay, well, to, to be fair, Ethan Hawke and Kevin Bacon do have the same vibes, I think, in I, a lot of I movies. I know. And yeah. it, anyway, it was so stupid, and it was just like... I don't know where I got it in my head that Tony Hawk acts, but I don't think that's true. <laughs> Maybe he does. I've seen him do commercials and oh he was like God. pretty good. So incredible. It's not that he couldn't. He just chooses not to. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh my God. That's so funny. Oh, I'm um, so sorry. Okay. Go for, so Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawk. <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> Okay, so um, Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke uh, play parents in okay. uh, this book-turned-movie, and it's about... Wait, I, I, think, I think I'm talking about the same movie, Kate. I, is it the one where, like, the world ends? Yeah, it's called Leave the World Behind. <laughs> yes. Wait, this is the movie you watched. That's like, literally movie. this specific movie. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Okay, I'm actually crying. I forgot that Julia Roberts was in it. (laughs) (laughs) Also, that movie wasn't that good. My God, I'm dying. Okay, I I thought the movie was fine. The book I really, really liked. Um, And part of the reason why I really liked the book is Mm -hmm. because I felt like it was much more a meditation on parenthood Mm -hmm. and what does it mean to bring children into the world when you don't know what the world is going to be like. Totally. And there's this quote from the book that has stuck with me for the last several years since I read it. And I want to read the quote. Is that weird? No, no, no. It's a short quote. Okay. So the father is narrating the book okay it's fictional the fictional father is narrating the book and he says um they had asked themselves questions when they decided to have children do we have the money do we have the space do we have what it takes but they didn't ask what the world would be when their children grew Mm. and i think that's like a very common thing that maybe generations that are older than us didn't think about quite Mm. as much Mm -hmm. um at least in recent years, so like boomers, Gen X, yeah. and maybe old millennials, um, that I think younger generations are definitely having to contend with. Yeah, And so I think there's just like a lot of pain that happens when you can't protect your children from the world you, world you brought them into yeah. and how complicated that is and um, all of the feelings that arise from there. So... That was a very, very windy answer, but essentially, um, a lot of the things that I 
have consumed in recent years have pointed to the complexity of Mm -hmm. becoming a parent and the complexity of the choice to become a parent if you have that choice. Yeah, I I think you're right that as like the world has become more hostile to human life in in certain ways, that more people our age and younger are wrestling with the complexity and that it's not just about like, if you can afford it or if you want it or whatever, but it's actually like, is this morally right to do to like, you know, make this choice for someone. Um, And I think that's such an interesting answer because I think one of the big critiques of influencer culture and specifically momfluencer culture is the way they flatten that sort of complexity in their, in their curated world that Mm. they like share. And you know, something that's become much more popular back when Instagram started to take off and influencers started to be a thing, the aspirational life was really the thing that people did, like perfection. And now it's actually really popular to show like imperfection and like vulnerability and cry in front of the camera and show like the hardship of motherhood. in the right ways. Yes, exactly. It's still performative. And it is still like designed to be the thing that people want, which means that it is not truly authentic. Like if you are doing authenticity because it's what the algorithm likes and people react to, that isn't actually authentic because you are doing it for a reason beyond the fact that it is your real experience. I That's how I feel about it anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's also like, how authentic is it if you're like planning it out right like to me authenticity is kind of a piece of authenticity that is inherent to it is that it is true to you and your life no matter who is watching Mm -hmm. and so for you to like plan out a day or a video or a crying session <laughs> yeah. in front of a camera, yeah. I think takes away an aspect of the perhaps spontaneity of authenticity or I don't know if that's quite the right word, but something that feels like it's missing from that if it's contrived and planned and um, like uh, set up in some way. Yeah. Well, and even if it's, like subtler than that and it's just like a subconscious nudge to be vulnerable because you know it works quote unquote that I think changes yeah it changes the way you think about your own life and the things you look for and the things you try to like turn into content or think like if you're having a big emotion that's authentic if you in the middle of that have a thought that like oh this would be good this would be a good thing to film it's like what the fuck is happening to you in that moment is that really authenticity anymore and you know I'm sure people feel differently than I feel about it but I think those are important questions to pose when you're considering like what does it even mean to be authentic in this space yeah it also just makes me so sad like Mm -hmm. thinking about that because it means that you are never not under pressure yeah and like one of the other things that I have consumed not just from media but just from like knowing young mothers Mm -hmm. is that being a mom is hard it's really fucking hard and 
being a, especially a new mom or a mom of young children, like it's a lot of hard work. You never get a break. Like caretaking is an incredibly difficult job and it's often a thankless one. Um, particularly as a mother who's just expected to do all of the various tasks as opposed to being like praised or recognized for it. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is like, obviously you don't become a mother so you can be praised for taking care of your kid, but nonetheless, like, uh, not having a recognition because it's expected of you is a different dynamic than it is for men who are often recognized for being a good father when they do the things that mothers are doing automatically, um, because it's expected of them. And so I think like imagining adding one more layer to that of like, not only is all of this really hard and I'm trying to like find myself again in all of this, in this new phase of life Mm -hmm. and then be like, but it also has to be the right kind of authenticity that I can film for an audience. Yeah. Sounds miserable. Yeah. Totally. Like I can't imagine the mental toll that would take on me. Yeah. It's, even when you are not in front of the camera, you're essentially performing at all times because you're thinking about the aspects of your life that could be turned into content. And, yeah. you know, obviously that doesn't bother some people as much as it bothers the idea bothers you and I, but I do think that that, you know, regardless of what it does to the individual that's doing that, it has an effect on the people that consume it. And that is, I think more what I'm interested in beyond like, if that's what you want to do, do it, you know? But I think it's really worth considering, like, what is that doing to the rest of us? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, okay. for sure. It's pressure on all sides. Yeah. All right. So the book is so great. And as I've said a couple times, I'm going to focus on the last chapter. And I'm not going to tell you the name of the chapter because it will kind of give away a piece that I'm going to talk about. But I will, you know, let you know the name of the chapter at some point. <laughs> Um, and I feel that this final chapter is where this question that has been in the background throughout the book of like, why do we do this? Meaning like, why do we continue consuming influencer culture? What is it that's so compelling about it? Especially given the fact that often it makes us feel bad for one way or another, Mm -hmm. like feel like we're inadequate or something like that. Mm -hmm. And in this chapter, I feel like that question really comes to the forefront and Um, that is, I think a question that many people have asked in regards to like social media and influencers, but it, it can be really hard to find a satisfying answer for that question. Mm -hmm. Um, so in the past, like when I've read other books and articles about this sort of topic, I find that that question, I'm, I'm still left with it and I don't feel like I have a satisfying answer. So I was really hoping that in Mm -hmm. this book there would be like a takeaway that felt different to me that I'd be like, Oh yeah, that actually helps me make more sense of this for myself. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Do you, and do you feel like this book helped you get there? We're going to get there. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) I'm building suspense. (laughs) Yes. Love it. Okay. So I am going to start by reading a section from the first page of this chapter And I want to read it so that you can kind of get the sense of like how this author, Sarah Peterson, is experiencing the mom influencers that she kind of follows and watches. And also, I think it's a really good description of my own experience of like when the influencers that I get really invested in. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. And I think it'll be helpful if you're someone who doesn't really understand this to like kind of get a taste of like what it feels like in your brain <laughs> to be doing this. Okay. So she is talking about an, an influencer who actually like is no longer an influencer. I don't know if we know why, but she eventually just like left Instagram and stopped doing it. But she's looking at the last photo that this woman, uh, Naomi, posted. Okay. So let me find where I want to start. I like the name Naomi. Yeah, I know. Okay. (laughs) So she's looking at this photo and she's like thinking in her mind. Okay. So per usual, I admire Naomi's freckles. I notice the way the hair on either side of her middle part smooths down against her cheekbones. No fuzzies. I look closer and I think I can detect a nearly imperceptible bobby pin. The elbow length sleeves of her top are blousey without being frumpy. I think of my own arms, which I'm sort of self-conscious about because they're not as willowy as I'd like them to be. Shout out to Diet Culture (laughs) and Lucy Maud Montgomery. I think Naomi's sleeves would make me feel good about my arms. I wonder where her shirt is from. Naomi didn't tag the photo with the brand, so I'd have to spend some time Googling it. I muse about Josh and Naomi's relationship. That's her husband. What is it like to be with someone who, like you, has a penchant for posing in cutesy photos? Is it annoying? Is it fun? Naomi's teeth are very white. What was I doing again? (laughs) Why am I doing this again? And that's where I'm going to stop. But I I love that, the way she, like, ping-pongs between, like, different thoughts. And then the last one being, like, God, her teeth are so white. (laughs) It's, like, very – I was, like, wow, I really resonate with that experience. (laughs) Well, and, like, I feel like sometimes it's, like, distractingly white. Like, yes, some people who get, like, yeah. <laughs> like, the whitening treatments, it's, like, yeah. the first thing you notice, because it's, like, like oh, shit. my God, that's unnatural. What it's, like, Ross in Friends here? when he gets, like, his teeth yeah. white and they're, like, black, light, white. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So that is, like, what we do. But, like, why, again, why do we do it? And what is happening to us when we do that? So this Mm -hmm. chapter, uh, Peterson reflects a lot on how easy it is for our insecurities to turn into hatred and um, how that kind of hatred can make it easy for us to blame ourselves or blame the influencer that we now hate for our complicated feelings while Mm -hmm. missing the larger systems at play, right? Like either I'm, this is my fault because I'm feeling envious and I shouldn't be, like, mm-hmm. I'm looking at this momfluencer instead of taking care of my kids, blah, blah, blah. Or maybe you project it onto that influencer and you're like, well, this person is full of shit. They're like, mm. they probably have all this help that they're not admitting to. Sure, sure. They, I would be able to do that if I had more money. You know, whatever. Yeah. We blame that instead of the system. So I'm going to read, like, two more quotes. One is kind of about that idea of, like, how easy it is for our insecurities to turn into hatred. So let me find... I shouldn't have closed the book. That was stupid of me. Okay. So she is talking about a different influencer who's like an all natural mama who would like throw herself in front of a bus before letting her kid have like Cheetos or something. You know, that's like the vibe here. Okay. I've always imagined myself as that kind of mother. Just kidding. Absolutely not. (laughs) You know, I've always reminded myself of Grace Kelly. (laughs) Okay. So she, Sarah Peterson is, talking from her perspective here and she goes and as a person who has made the deliberate decision to not desperately try to protect my kids from junk food it is hard not to take at milk givers post personally often when she's referring to the influencer she uses like the handle that's her name 
mocha verse. I'm sorry, I hate gross? it. I hate it yeah. so much. Boo, boo. Um, okay, not take her post personally. Hard not to second guess my choices when I read her words and view her reel, which features her looking into a mirror bedecked with a dried orange slice garland. She looks happy and relaxed. And if there's one state I wish I could inhabit more often in my maternal life, it's happy relaxation. Would I have chosen this particular post to critique if at Milk Gibbert didn't look so chill? If she didn't implicitly attack my own maternal choices by espousing her own? If her account didn't make it so easy for me to project, project, project my own shit onto. Okay, I think that's... Well, no, I'm going to read one last thing. So she's talking about this internet blog that was like a, a snark site for influencers. And so she says, um, there's like a fine line between me allowing my personal parenting insecurities to bleed into my criticism of gentle parenting tropes. And it isn't as distinct as I'd like it to be. Mm. I uh, paraphrase that a little bit for clarity, but I think um, that that is all to go to my point about how easy it is for our like insecurities to turn into hatred. And we justify it by being like, Oh, I'm just like pointing out the hypocrisy or mm -hmm. whatever, but it, it can go from a critique to like an attack mm -hmm. that is maybe born from our own shit pretty easily. Yeah. I mean, I think too, it's like the um, intensity with which you're having those emotions because it's like, it's one thing to say, like, yeah, I really feel like these influencers are not actually showing authenticity and then being able to, like, move on mm -hmm. with your day versus having that become, like, an all-consuming feeling of hatred for them because of that critique. And then it becomes, like, well, at what point is that actually just unhealthy for you? Like, they don't know you, right? Like, you're not influencing them in any way. You're not going to stop them from doing what they're doing. You're not going to make them right. come out and admit, even if they are being, like, a hypocrite. Um, and so at that point, it's just like, well, you're the only person suffering here. Like, you and and probably, like, your kids and the people you interact with in real life. Um, because you can't, like, let go and be the best version of yourself or whatever right like you can't like get out of that headspace yeah no absolutely and like something that I have found like in my own obsessive spirals on social media I I have this feeling of like if I can just figure it out then I'll be able to stop and it's like what are you trying to figure out like what do you need it's like, I don't know but it's like <laughs> literally that it's like I just need to figure it out and it's like okay me talking in the mirror to myself I'm like I don't know that you're gonna be able to though and are you like going to keep doing this forever like and I'm like yes well I mean if I put um, on my therapy hat which is a conversation I had in therapy um about mm -hmm. like why do we do these things in this way where we like have these arguments with people we don't know or have arguments with people we do yeah. know but they're fictitious in our brain um totally <laughs> like I think a lot of it does boil down to control like if we think that we can mm. have an answer to what's going on or we can predict what's going on then it feels like we're in control of the situation as totally. opposed to being able instead of walking away and being like I have no control over this which is a really hard thing to do but it's also, like, sometimes the only way you can get out of that, like, vicious cycle of 
the fake arguments and the the hatred from insecurity or whatever that may be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the one of the pieces is like accepting that you won't actually have the satisfaction of resolution in whether it's in that argument or like in this like puzzle I'm somehow trying to solve with like understanding what's driving Mm me. Um, And that can be really difficult at first, but it gets easier over time. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we'll talk about that more, but I'm going to first tell you a little bit more about like the systems that I was referring to, like we blame ourselves or the Mm -hmm. individual and we miss the larger systems. So I'm just going to read a quote about that. Okay. Um, it's so much of the quagmire of that is performing and consuming motherhood online is blamed on individuals. It's my fault. I feel bad about my inability to enjoy motherhood because I made the choice to start scrolling. It's my fault. I'm bored by motherhood because I don't try hard enough to be delighted. It's my fault for making another mom feel shitty about her motherhood because something captured in a photo meant to represent my motherhood is triggering for her. But all of these individual feelings would not be so easily evoked if larger systems did not loom so large, did not wield so much direct power over the lives of moms, if the people controlling the systems were not so often influenced by white, patriarchal, capitalistic incentives. So that quote is really interesting because the systems she calls out are not necessarily the systems that I expected her to call out. Like, obviously, white patriarchy, capital, like, all of those things are at play. Um but I, I thought where she was going was to also point out, like, we now have access to see into the lives or posts of so many people. And, like, we have an algorithm that, like, feeds us that content based on who we are. And I thought she was going to say, like, the social media engine of it. So I'm curious, like, does she, is that, like, a part of her discussion, too? Yeah. And I was, the question I was going to ask you is like, what other, or what do you think some of those larger systems are in the context of motherhood and like performing motherhood in general? But yes, she does like in that same like section of that chapter, she's talking about like how social media was designed and who designed it and for what purpose. Mm -hmm. And she I don't know if it's like before or after this quote, but she talks about how uh, like apps that are designed have like two main categories. One is like, I forget the word, but it's like utility or like something like that, where it's like you have a specific need and it helps you solve that need, like maps or a calculator or something. The other is called a painkiller app. And it's not something that you actually have like a specific problem you're trying to solve with it, but it's more of like an emotional need. Mm-hmm. So like loneliness or boredom or stress mm-hmm. and Instagram, TikTok, those ones are like a painkiller app, which I think is like so insidious. The fact that they're, we're literally like calling these apps painkiller <laughs> apps because they have like this numbing effect mm-hmm. on us. Um, but so, yes, she is talking about how like these systems or this, social media engines were designed to have these effects on us and to control us and to make make us addicted. But then she like goes, scales it up and she's like, well, who designed it mm-hmm. and what system was it designed in? And it's like, well, from there, it's like white men and capitalism is the main mm-hmm. driving force. So yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I've ever like, 
I'm sure I've come across like a Monfluencer video, but I don't, it's not like I follow any, I couldn't name any off the top of my head. Um, but I like, I assume that they are selling a lot of their products that they use in the videos or point out in the videos, because that's typically just how like influencers make their money. Um, and so the capitalist thing seems like it is such a huge driving factor because people are making like, sometimes you have to remember, like someone's making money off of this and it's not just Facebook, right? Like, or Instagram or TikTok. That, like this individual is making money off of this or attempting to make money off of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like to that end, it also does could encourage more empathy towards the influencers too, because in America we don't support parents in so many ways. Like daycare is fucking expensive. Um, everything for your kid is expensive uh, and like schooling and school trips and all of these things. Right. And so like a lot of people are doing it probably not just cause they maybe have an emotional need or, or want to do it, but also for the money, like, because it is yeah. like important to have a job that's flexible enough to be able to do while you're also watching your kids, which like basically doesn't exist in like a lot of other ways. <laughs> and so, yeah, it makes me wonder how does this like industry, if we want to call it that, look different in different countries that maybe has more Mm -hmm. of a support system for parents. Like, I don't know if it does, but I would be really curious if that has any influence. Yeah, that is, I'm curious about that too, actually. And she doesn't, I don't really think she talks, she definitely talks about America, obviously, because that's where she lives and what she knows, but she doesn't really call it out as, um, as crisply as that, that I recall, like maybe she does and I'm forgetting. But she, I don't know that she does like a big co- comparative between like American influencers sure. and, well, but it, that would be so interesting. Like, it would be probably pretty complicated because of course this content is available anywhere that there's internet. So it's not like totally. a clean line necessarily. It just feels yes. like most of the people who are doing this job are Americans. And I wonder if. Yeah our specific structures in our country are part of the reason mm-hmm. why this is so enticing to American mothers. Yeah. I also think it like has to do with our culture, like in America of consumerism, mm-hmm. which is like very, I don't know. It's, it's definitely more intense here than it is in other places. Not like the most, maybe not the most out of any, but like there is like a very, encouraged like individualistic consumer mindset Mm -hmm. here in America that I think really lends itself very well to the job of an influencer you know I mean I just think about like all of the other predatory jobs (laughs) for for working mothers or or mothers who are perhaps like wanted to be a stay-at-home mother but like they in this economy cannot do that because they need two incomes. And so they pick up things that are connected to an MLM or they pick Mm -hmm. up other uh, jobs. They start an Etsy shop. Like I just think like there's not a lot of ways to just allow people to mother their children on one income anymore. So, which we've talked Mm -hmm. about a little bit. And so it feels like, 
I don't know, the confluence of factors here between social media and this particular economy and American consumerism Mm -hmm. feels like the perfect storm for what we now have. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, the internet itself, like this wouldn't have been possible without that. And then, you know, social media wouldn't have been possible without the internet. Mm -hmm. So it's all like these, so many things had to come together to create this like absolutely perfect environment for this. Perfectly terrible. (laughs) Yeah, it is terrible. It's totally terrible. Okay. So I don't know that I was super clear in my structure of this, but I was like, so what are we doing? Uh, What is it doing to us when we do that? And now I want to talk about that prevailing question that I mentioned, which is the why. Like, why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. Because I hope that I've like set it up that it's not a very pleasant experience often. Sometimes we get something valuable out of it, like a good tip for parenting or like cleaning your house or whatever. But a lot of it is this like comparative disappointment that we experience of like, I can't achieve this. And if I could, I would be happy and relaxed or whatever you want, Mm -hmm. you know? Okay. Oh, I'm so excited about this part because this was the part that just like, oh my God. And yes, to answer your question, yes, this actually did provide a satisfying answer to me about the why in a way that like I have not had in another like book about this topic. And when I was reading the last few like pages of it, I was just like having such a big emotional reaction to it. Like it was relief and sadness and like you know, that feeling of being seen Mm -hmm. and being like, oh my God, like this is speaking to me Mm -hmm. so much. So anyway, it was great. And I'll stop teasing it. I was going to say, okay, spill. Let's tell me what, (laughs) what that was. I have another question for you, which is so hilarious. I'm such a tease. Um, (laughs) You're like, I'm going to get to it right after this question. (laughs) Right after this ad break. Just kidding. So my question, and this is maybe like an unfair question because what if you don't know? But Kate, do you know anything about Lauren Berlant's theory of cruel optimism? Uh, No, I've never heard of that person or that theory before. (laughs) Yeah, she is uh, an American author, Lauren Berlant. I'm not going to go into like too much about who she is because to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know. Um, but it's I am irrelevant. going to explain this <laughs> this theory to you. Okay, oh, so funny. I'm being so annoying about this. I'm like all over the place. Whatever. Okay, so Kate doesn't know anything about cruel optimism, and that's okay because I'm going to tell you. Okay. So I'm going to read this section that in the book Sarah Peterson is talking to another uh, writer. I her name is Jory, okay. and this writer is introducing this concept to Peterson of Lauren Berlant's theory of cruel optimism. And this is the satisfying answer to me, and we'll get into why. So I'm going to read what Jory says to Sarah in their conversation. I'm mixing two of her books here, her being Lauren Berlant. But Berlant says that when you see a pattern, like these unbelievably perfect moms over and over again, Even when it's a genre, Berlant's writing about literature, but this type of account is an Instagram genre, repeating its pattern, you expect that pattern. You expect to see it unfold in your own life, and you aspire to it even if you know it's bad for you. So it's optimistic in that it's an aspiration, but it's cruel in that what you want either doesn't actually exist or does exist but is actively actively harmful to you. 
fantasy is attractive even when it sparks envy and rage. They make it look easy. And wouldn't it be a great life if that much beauty was easy? Okay. What are you thinking? <laughs> I was just, I was trying I was trying to absorb all of that, make sure I'm fully following. So essentially what she is positing is that when you see a pattern repeated over and over and over again, it seems more attainable, even if it isn't. And thus you start to think that it is attainable. And so you're attracted to it more, even though, again, it may not be attainable or definitely isn't attainable in this respect. Is that accurate? Okay. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah, the, the nuance is like, it's either not attainable for you at all, or it might be attainable, but the pursuit of it is actively harming you. So for mm. example, okay, if you want your house to look an aesthetic way, mm. but you can't really afford that, like maybe you could go into credit card debt to have that, but that would be actively harming right, right. you. It is possible. Run. It doesn't seem like a good choice for you. Right. right. Exactly. Right. Okay. And it's not impossible in that, like, if I am uh, 45 and I aspire to be 27, I <laughs> Right. Can't. That's actually impossible. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. But, but it could be harmful. So I think for me, the piece of it that was so like, oh, that is, that's what it is, is this idea that I have absorbed this aesthetic or thing that I aspire to when I look at these influencers lives so deeply that it is subconscious to me now at this point. And so when I look at my life, I expect to see that pattern, not because my logical brain is like, my life should look like an influencers, but because my subconscious has absorbed it so much that it just expects to see that. And then when I am not able to achieve it for whatever reason, whether it's like a monetary constraint or some other type of thing, I feel disappointed. And the more you come up against this, I think you also begin to realize that like, oh, this isn't possible for me. Mm -hmm. Like the more you try to achieve it and can't, you understand like that there is something here that maybe not, maybe isn't possible or I can't have because it's hurting me for some mm -hmm. reason. And that experience causes grief because the life that we expected or thought was a reality, we realize is not actually something we can realize in our own reality. Sure. I mean, it's a, it's a sense of loss, even if it was never real to begin with. Like that yes, thing. Exactly. That thing. But the loss yes. feels real. Totally. And there's a second piece to it that like, sh so Sarah Peterson has this conversation. It's very like, mm -hmm. oh, light bulb for me. And then she starts to like absorb it, process it, and write about it in the context of her book, mm -hmm. Momfluenced. And that's where she kind of brings the final piece to me that I was always wondered, like, why do I keep going back? If I know it makes me feel bad about my life, and I look at these people's feeds, and I'm like just triggered and irritated and disappointed that I can't like achieve whatever the fuck they have. Why do I keep doing it to myself? And the explanation that Sarah Peterson has derived from like this concept of cruel optimism is that going back to those feeds gives us a little bit of hope that it could be real because these people have achieved whatever thing we are desiring. And so we go back to their feeds allegedly. to like experience <laughs> allegedly, exactly. 
we go back <laughs> to experience the thing we desire and and feel the hope that like maybe it's possible because this person allegedly <laughs> has achieved it and we're like seeing a little glimpse into like that possibility and it gives us like again a sense of hope that maybe that fantasy could be realized in our own lives and i i felt that that was the most satisfying explanation that i've ever had because it's more than just envy and like oh i keep looking because i'm envious and i want it it's actually like i am trying to resolve the grief i have about this not being possible and by looking at mm -hmm. this person's feed who it appears to be possible for it it soothes that grief because it gives me a little bit of hope that i could have it mm -hmm. it's sort of like a cycle of addiction in that like in that way totally. where you are going back to this thing because you even though you logically may know that it is causing a lot of the problems in the moment it feels like it is soothing the problem and so yes. um it's like it's a a cycle of behavior that's i think very similar and that a lot of people repeat in many different ways yes well and like you're saying the more i or anyone goes to those feeds that causes that for them the more they are reinforcing in their subconscious this pattern that they've absorbed to expect and mm -hmm. so, yeah, like it just continues to cause the problem because I just continue to layer down that belief that like this is the way life should look. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting, too, because like, again, if we're thinking about the sort of societal factors that are priming people to repeat this pattern, part of it is that you are not able to achieve or create the dynamic in your real life that you are seeing out there that someone else is allegedly able to do, which obviously there's like an emotional component here too. Like a lot of times when people are looking at it, it's not just like, oh, I want this physical thing. It's like, I want to be more relaxed. I want to be a mom that, um, looks rested or you know whatever that is mm -hmm. but then totally. like at the end totally. of the day again there's a lot of factors that are out of your control that you maybe don't have access to like maybe you can't maybe you don't live by family and like hiring a babysitter so that you can get some alone time is just not feasible for you or maybe you have to work multiple jobs and so like you're just doing the best you can and like this doesn't seem feasible for you because America as a structure is set up to not benefit people like you. Yeah. Well, and um, Peterson spends a large part of the book talking about specifically like whiteness and how when like the ideal mom in America is a white mom. And that is either implicit or explicit depending on the momfluencer but something that is she thinks really essential whether you are consuming it or creating it is to understand that your involvement in that upholds that uh, systemic belief or or I don't know that ideal mm -hmm. that is harming other people so like if you are a thin white cis mom and you're an influencer, 
that's not like inherently wrong, but you do need to be aware of the like pattern that you are reinforcing for people and the like systems that you're upholding and benefiting from because of it. And I, I think you should take it even a step further, which is what Peterson argues that, that like you need to be aware that your involvement in it is actually harming other people because it's continuing to make it so that fat women can't get good health care and that black women can't get good health care or that they're like less likely to get a good job or, you know, all these things that like are these systems that allow for discrimination or like perpetuate discrimination, you are contributing to. You're not just like benefiting from, you're actually like reinforcing. So that was a long way of saying that. But yeah, absolutely. Like it's it's very complex and it's not just about the fact that oh, like I'm having this individual experience of like wanting something that is maybe not possible. It's like all of this was like, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think too, like um, to that point, why are these particular influencers the ones that keep getting pushed on the algorithm? Well, probably because they're white and thin and yeah, whatever. And not only does that like, continue the bias of people like wanting to see white bodies on tv or on their phones or whatever um but also the normalcy of that of like that is what i expect to see and that's what's good mm -hmm. and right yeah this is what you know? this is the correct version of what i should see but then it also is like well these are literally like being presented to you as people you are supposed to want to live up to. And so it reinforces the idea that like whiteness is what we should all be striving towards. Exactly. Even if that is not true and also like not possible um, for people totally. who are not white. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so, yes. yeah, it makes me wonder, like, I have no idea how, diverse or not diverse uh momfluence culture is i mean i would imagine there mm -hmm. are folks out there who are not white that are are doing this too but i wonder if like they have a harder time getting pushed on the algorithm because yeah. of that um or maybe their uh circle of influence is smaller or different than um what white momfluencers are able to achieve in terms of reach and yeah impact i don't know no you're right uh, and peterson does talk about that in the book like she cites the way the the top one percent or whatever of influencers almost all of them are white thin women and it's you know it's not to say that like a black mom can't have a million followers but there's more white moms with million followers sure. than black moms with million followers and it is harder for like women of color or like disabled moms or like trans moms or whatever to get the brand deals and mm -hmm. sponsorships and all of that, that white women get much more easily. Yeah. So she like has so much good information about, you know, she's not just speculating. She can like demonstrate that this is true. Yeah. So, okay. Pretty much at the end, but I did want to go circle back to that, the concept of cruel optimism and like again that was such a satisfying explanation to me of what is really going on for me in this experience and so i'm curious like given that theory do you feel like there is a place where cruel optimism shows up for you um sorry 
I'm like trying no, to that's think okay. of like a good answer to that question. I ask because I know that while you do like, of course, experience negative feelings on social media, I, I feel like I tend to be like, I, I feel like I've gotten more sucked in in ways than you have on like Instagram and TikTok. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't have a TikTok, right? So that. Right. That. So that precludes <laughs> yeah, you Yeah, I mean, from it. It, like it literally <laughs> does. It cuts off that avenue of possibility in a way that is, yeah. I think, really good for me. <laughs> Yeah. Which is why I don't have one. Um, and the same is true for Instagram. Like I have like a, a, an Instagram, but I don't actually use it and I don't follow anyone I know and I don't follow any influencers and I spend like 10 minutes every two months on it kind of thing. Um, (laughs) so I don't really feel like that, um, counts either, but the reason that I got off of Instagram is because it made me feel stressed out and so I stopped using it um so like yeah I mean in terms of social media I feel like maybe not so much and part of it is I think maybe a personality trait which is not good or bad but it is just the way I am which is like kind of cynical And so, Mm -hmm. like, I frankly don't think that I have enough optimism to be caught in this cycle because you have to have the the romantic idea of the person on the other side for that to work. And I've never, (laughs) it sounds so bleak, but I've never felt that way. Um, Yeah. My mind immediately goes to like, well, this isn't real anyway, who cares? Um, yeah. and maybe it is real. I, I don't actually, yeah, like, it's probable right, but that's that, how you experience yeah, and it's probable it. that some people on the other side that are posting things are posting true, authentic things that have happened to them. And that really does closely reflect their lives. Um, but yeah. because I am more cynical than you, which I think is, we know that, <laughs> um, it, it has never like caught me in that cycle. Um, yeah. in real life, I think there have definitely been like, things where I have, um, and this was probably when I was like younger, where like, um, Mm -hmm. I expected that something would be different than it was. And part of that was because like, I had probably seen patterns of something that I was Mm -hmm. like, well, this pattern, like, I'm probably projecting onto this and my brain is filling in the gaps of like, this is what I'm expecting to see based on the information that I have, which is like the patterns that we see recycled. I wonder, do you feel like your um, experience like pursuing a, a career in museums and the arts and then being like, oh yeah, this is not going to work. Yeah. I, I think that's probably like the best example um, in part because like the like the people that I had talked to about their careers um and this was like of no fault of their own it just is what it is but like they had a completely different experience of that career because they were 20 years older than me and so Mm, like the mm -hmm. people that I had talked to were giving me advice based on a time that didn't exist anymore and they were doing their best to give me the best advice they could but they were also not able to give me relevant advice, um, which I think happens all the time, right? Like even now, if I give somebody advice, like from five years ago, things have changed, right? Um, The pandemic changed them, right? Mm -hmm. So 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah. in a lot so of ways, true. my expectations were built on a world that didn't exist anymore because like the people mm-hmm. I had talked to were older than me and had literally experienced that. It just doesn't exist yeah. anymore, you know, which totally. is like such a yeah. weird, um, weird thing. Yeah. But, but it's, it's essentially that where it's yeah. like you had these aspirations, optimism for this career and what it could look like. And then as you entered into it, you realized, oh, this isn't actually possible because that world doesn't exist yeah, anymore. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, to continue to pursue it would have been harmful to you in, like, monetary, emotional, like, many, many ways. And the most significant being that you would never have been able to achieve the thing that you had set out to achieve because it's not what it is. Right. It doesn't exist in the way that I had it in my head. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, and, like, obviously that, that process was painful. It was, like, a loss of that expectation. And the identity that you expected to have, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, for sure, of like thinking yeah. that like this is this was gonna this was who I was setting myself up to be, and then realizing that like, oh, I need to do like a hard pivot because yeah. the thing that I want can't exist in the structures that have been laid out, mm-hmm. and so I think that is like a hard process to go through because it's like yeah yeah that you can stay here, but it, it will just be this forever. Like it, it actually yeah. won't be better than this. <laughs> like you either have to be happy yeah. with what this is currently, or you need to leave. Like those are your two options. And, um, I think, you know, sometimes it takes us a while to just like come to terms with that and be like, okay, yeah. I get it. This is, <laughs> you know, this is what it is. Yeah. Like, well, and sometimes it takes a, a glimpse into another possibility to help us feel like we can move on mm-hmm. from that original ideal that we yeah. had. Of being like, oh, there are other ways to live your life and still get, you know, whatever, these things that you wanted out yeah. of it. Um, yeah. Which I think is like, I don't know, in ways, like, that's why I really enjoy reading um fiction or nonfiction, but a lot of times fiction about people who Mm -hmm. aren't like myself to just be like, there are so many ways to live a life, you know, like it doesn't have to be whatever we think it's supposed to be. (laughs) And most of the time it isn't. So, you know, like, yeah. 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 Okay. I love it. That was, that was such a good answer. I feel like it was rambling, but I don't know. It was wonderful. And I feel like I hope that'll help some other people recognize the, that same experience. Because it's easy if you are like me and you're having the same experience with an influencer, but it's harder if you don't relate to that and you're like, well, whatever. But I think it really does show up for a lot of us. And knowing that experience and being able to recognize it can help us escape it. So... All right. So the book, I'm not going to tell you how it ends because I feel like that would be unfair to the author, okay. but I'm just going to give you some is like... It, is it like a twist? Is that why you say that? Or? No, oh, okay. it's not. I just feel like the ending was a really wonderful conclusion. Mm. And I, I don't know, like I, okay. I guess what more what I'm saying is like, I don't want to read the last few lines, mm. even though I want to, because I feel like that would be unfair. But I will give you some like broad strokes that like at the end of the book, she concludes it with this... Um, an account of like a trip she took to Florida with her family Mm -hmm. and that she made the choice to remove Instagram off her phone for that trip. I don't know. I assume she put it back on, but like for that trip, she just was like, I'm not going to look at this. 
And she just describes how, you know, all these things could have been happening that I would have been comparing my life to, like these influencers posting things. But because I wasn't looking, I wasn't comparing. Mm -hmm. And because I wasn't comparing, I was just absorbing my life as it was. Mm -hmm. And that was a positive experience. Mm -hmm. And the, like, before Christmas, I didn't delete all my social medias, but I did, like, block every person that causes me to have that experience especially one in particular that I have like struggled with for a long time and I did it for six weeks and I'm going to I took a little break and I'm going to go back Mm -hmm. to it and it was really hard because I truly am addicted to it um and like many times a day I wanted to look and I you know I did it I really was good not that's gross I hate when people say that I didn't because I was keeping a promise to myself because you committed yes and I wanted to prove to myself that I could do something that I knew was good for me even though it was like unpleasant Mm -hmm. in the long run and my goal with it was to just really notice my experience of my own life and how the way I felt changed when I wasn't constantly re-triggering myself by this other person's Mm -hmm. life. And one of the things I noticed that was so hard was that I didn't immediately feel better. And so it was hard to keep on doing it, knowing that like, oh, this isn't just like magically fixing everything that I feel upset about. It didn't like automatically reward you in other words. Exactly. Exactly. But I just was like, you have to keep going. And you have to just, like, keep noticing the way you change over time when you are not every single day, multiple times a day, absorbing this, which I I hadn't even read that part of the book yet about absorbing this Mm -hmm. pattern and how Mm -hmm. it was, like, continuing. But it was essentially, I had come to that conclusion. And what I will say, finally, is as much as this sucks and feels like, it isn't necessarily a solution. I think the only way free from this is to stop consuming the content that causes us this um, feeling of inadequacy or longing or whatever we have. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's like not all at once cold Turkey or whatever, but I think over time, the more we can break free from looking at those things that or just like reinforcing Mm -hmm those things that we can't have or whatever we we will find that it gets easier and we deserve to not just drink the poison all the time yeah for sure I mean I think too like um doing things that are um that are good for us take a lot of effort and energy and um like determination and all of those things. And I think often when we are already feeling bad, it's hard to summon the motivation it takes to do that. And so a lot of times these things that like compound and make us feel worse are things that like feel impossible to get out of because we actually don't feel like we have the energy to put towards like the better behavior, Mm -hmm. which is like, yeah, related to social media, but also just like everything, right? Like you can apply it to like, moving your body and working out or you can apply it to like whether or not you are trying to eat vegetables for their nutrients or not you know like there's just like all kinds of things that um or like go go hang out with your friends when you'd rather just like lay on the couch yeah like and so like that can be it can be really hard 
to do that when you already feel bleh, you know, because it's like, well, that takes energy to put towards something. So anyway, I say that because it's like in this particular example with monfluencers, it's like you are probably Mm -hmm. if you're a mom of young children, you're probably already exhausted. You're already like doing a ton. You're already feeling overwhelmed. You may feel overstimulated. Mm -hmm. And so like the last thing you may want to do is decide like, I need to go through the hard process of detoxing all of my yeah. Instagram list when it's like the one place where you feel yeah. like you're getting some soothing. Um, and yes. so, yeah, I mean, I think that seems like a, like a hard process. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I'm not like an all or nothing kind of person in, I can be, but in this, I think it's, that's, that's like a way to set yourself up to fail. Um, but it's like incremental change. And, and I think the first thing is just really understanding what is actually happening to you and that it's not just like, Oh, well I'll just look this one time and it's okay. Like every time you do it, it reinforces this pattern that is actually causing you to suffer in your real life. Um, and so the more you're aware of that and like, for me, the, the thing that I have come to realize that I've had to slowly accept is that the answer does not lie in the feed. I really believe it does. And if I can just keep scrolling and watch every video and figure out what shirt she's wearing and where she got it and all this shit, like I'll finally, how she got her teeth that I'll white. finally <laughs> do it. Yeah, exactly. I will finally understand and be satisfied and can mm-hmm. go about my life and experience whatever magic she has, but it's not true. And the more I look, the more addicted I become to it. And mm-hmm. so the way to freedom for me is just accepting the discomfort of feeling like I, I haven't solved the puzzle, mm-hmm. knowing that to solve the puzzle is to simply stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really hard, but I think that's the thing that's worked the best for me. And I hate that for me, but it is the truth. <laughs> you're, you're like, I hate it, but I also have to love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for telling me about this book. I feel like this was <laughs> such an interesting topic and discussion so yeah thanks for telling us well i loved it thank you you're welcome and i recommend going to get this book and reading if nothing else the last chapter because it's one of those things you can read kind of on its own Mm -hmm. and most of it will make sense and it really it felt so good to be seen and to be yeah uh experience like an answer to this question I've had for a long time yeah that sounds incredibly satisfying (laughs) yay okay well that's it uh join us next time for more of our bullshit bye